Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. We're going to be talking about brain fog today, something a lot of people and a lot of women have been experiencing in the past year. I should explain as well that that brain fog, it's not a disease, it's not a disorder, it's not a diagnosis. What it really is, is a warning that something is amiss. Um, it's a, it really is a signal to take action, like a cough, a persistent cough would be a signal to take action. Now, before we go to brain fog, I wanted to give another shout out to Jacinda Ardern and her cabinet in New Zealand, because not only have they played a blinder with COVID while we are still stuck in lockdown, they also have unanimously approved legislation that would give couples who suffer a miscarriage or stillbirth three days of paid leave. And it puts the country in the vanguard of those providing such benefits. And they're the first in the world to do this. Employers in New Zealand, as in some other countries, had already been required to provide paid leave in the event of a stillbirth when a fetus is lost after 20 weeks or more. But the new legislation is going to expand that and give leave to anyone who loses a pregnancy at any point, removing any ambiguity. And the measure is expected to become law in the coming weeks. I just think it's a brilliant piece of news and I wanted to leave you with a quote from Ginny Anderson, the Labour Member of Parliament who drafted the bill in New Zealand. She said, I felt that it would give women the confidence to be able to request the leave if it was required, as opposed to just being stoic and getting on with life when they knew they needed time physically or or psychologically to get over the grief. And so say all of us. It's some good news and hopefully other countries, including Ireland, will follow their lead. Pregnancy loss and miscarriage affects so many women and men and their families. And if you haven't experienced it yourself, I know that you know someone who has and it really needs to be acknowledged more. And that seems like a very fair and compassionate way to deal with people when they're in that situation. Now, today we're going to be talking about something that might have affected you if you got COVID, but it also just might be affecting you generally. It's the condition of brain fog. Neuroscientist Dr. Sabina Brennan has written the book on it, Beating Brain Fog, and she also suffered from it herself. So she really does know what she's talking about. If you go and complain about brain fog to a medical profession, you're likely to be told that it isn't a recognised condition. But if you say brain fog to your friends, they'll probably know exactly what you mean. Fuzzy thinking, trouble concentrating, a sense of grasping for the right word, feeling like your brain is somehow slowed down. Now, brain fog is not a diagnosis in itself, but it is, says Dr. Brennan, a sign that things aren't right in your body. So Sabina came on the podcast to guide us through the science, to show us how our brains work and why we might experience confusion and anxiety. She has tools to help you identify your own cognitive profile, determining the causes of your specific symptoms. And she's got simple strategies that uh, help you feel like yourself again. We were also joined and we were delighted to be joined by 31-year-old Joanna Lester 
Westchuk, who works for the NHS in Scotland. And she had been having an awful experience with brain fog uh, and she took Dr. Brennan's 30 day plan and then she really did experience a lot of improvements. So what Sabina is talking about works. I talked to them both. So I hope this is helpful. Here they are, Sabina Brennan and Joanna Lestchuk on brain fog. Sabina, I'm going to come to you first. What is brain fog? Well, brain fog is, it's an umbrella term um, and it really describes a collection of symptoms that can be described as cognitive dysfunction. So basically, um, the most common symptoms are loss of mental clarity, trouble concentrating, trouble focusing, a sense of slowing, like that it's taking you longer for information to come in, make sense of it and then respond. Also problems with, you know, memory, with forgetfulness and with taking in new information. We'd call that learning, but actually just taking it, you know, even someone showing you how to use a remote control and you kind of go, no, sorry, what? Um, Problems with language, the ones we're familiar about, like word finding or substituting the wrong word or actually just feeling that your language isn't as rich or as fluid as it ordinarily would be. And then um, some people are quite surprised, um, problems with um, bumping into things like a clumsiness, Um, but also, you know, difficulty making decisions and planning and organizing and just really even simple decisions like what to wear or or, or what to cook for dinner, you know, just and, and a real sense of fatigue like a mental fatigue I'm just too tired to think well it seems like uh, anecdotally anyway and looking on social media and just talking to friends it seems to be something that in the pandemic in the last year it seems very timely it seems to be and whether it's just anecdotal or whether there's something in it maybe you can uh, talk about that is it is it more prevalent in a time like this when people are you know having to deal with something quite unprecedented and you know scary and also just yeah mind-blowing a bit yeah if you, if you look to the causes of brain fog it makes perfect sense that so many people are are dealing with it I should explain as well that that brain fog it's not a disease it's not a disorder it's not a diagnosis what it really is is a warning that something is amiss um it's it, it really is a signal to take action like a cough a pers- persistent cough would be a signal to take action. Now, all of those things that I just described, and they happen to all of us, everybody has experienced them at some point. You know, you might experience them if you have jet lag or, you know, if you've been out late two nights in a row or, you know, um, working too hard, you know, but the thing with brain fog is they're persistent. They recur um, and they interfere with your your quality of your life, your ability to work, your relationships and the root causes. Um, you know, there can be underlying health conditions. There can be the side effect of medication hormonal changes or hormonal imbalance but then there's also more lifestyle related stuff and it's usually a combination of things so the lifestyle stuff are um you know uh, poor diet or dietary deficiency um uh disrupted or poor sleep um poorly managed chronic stress lack of exercise um uh, lack of mental stimulation or under stimulation or overstimulation uh, and then as i said the, the the diet so when it comes to the pandemic uh now not covid brain fog because that's also a thing but sort of i'm calling it pandemic brain fog loads of people just feel chronically stressed that alone will interfere with your brain function but then people are having disrupted sleep and an added stressor of their routines and habits have been taken away from them and habitual behavior is less resource heavy on your brain. It's less demanding. It's handled by an unconscious part of your brain. So pre-pandemic, 40% of most of our daily activities are habitual. We don't have to think of them. Then suddenly one day last year, we were all told to go home, figure out how to work from home, 
all the routines were disrupted. So that means your thinking part of your brain, which is really, really resource heavy, is doing everything. Um, and the very reason that the brain looks for patterns to automate is that it doesn't have the capacity to do that. So the s simple solution in that context is to, to you know, re-engage in the routines that you did pre-pandemic and you'll kind of take a little bit of pressure off your brain. But it makes perfect sense. OK, and we are going to talk about, obviously, because your book is a 30 day guide to beating brain fog. So we will talk about those kind of strategies. But I'm really interested in why, um, and you mentioned it in the book, that it's often, brain fog is often dismissed by medical professionals. And you mentioned hormonal changes there. And I'm wondering, is there a link between the fact that particularly women seem to suffer from it in menopausal situations and that kind of thing. Is that something to do with perhaps it being dismissed or what's your take on what doctors think of it? Do you know, I do discuss that in the epilogue of the book because, um, you know, it's a really, it can be really, really debilitating and having experienced it myself as a consequence of autoimmune disease and, and, and chronic pain and also kind of um, hormonal issues. I know how awful it is to be dismissed. You go home and think you're going crazy like you really do. Um, and not all are, all doctors do dismiss and many of them actually recognize it, but they are more focused with the underlying cause and um, uh, they often don't give any you know, advice on how to how to deal with it. Um, I did explore that. I mean, certainly pre pandemic, it seemed that more women were affected because, for example, autoimmune diseases disproportionately affect women. A lot of chronic pain conditions disproportionately affect women. You know, we have a lot of hormonal changes throughout our life. So it kind of makes sense that um, and that that is why, um, you know, women, women are not treated equally within the health um health care, but also health research. I mean, historically, all research is done on males, males and men's because hormones get in the way. But then that means that medication isn't going to work in the same way for us. Um, and so that's kind of a historical thing. And um, we know from research as well that if um, a male presents with a doctor and a female present to a doctor with the same symptoms. The doctor is more likely to look for an organic cause in the male and a psychological cause in the female. So oh, annoying. I know, but that's research. And that's something that we really, really have to work at. Um, and there's a kind of a few things going on um, as well. I think part of it is the research because we'll respond differently. You know, they kind of go, oh, well, that treatment works for them. You know, must be something not working for you, but actually we're different. Um, and um, I think there's unconscious bias there. Um, you know, I don't believe that the doctors, you know, generally go out to kind of treat women um, differently. But I think there's an unconscious bias that we really need to speak out about. Um, I do think I think it's funny. You know, a lot of people say to me, you know, you know, the doctors just said it's, it's all in my head. And I kind of go, well, that's true. Everything is in your head. Everything stems from your brain. All pain stems from your brain, you know, mental health issues, physical issues. They all stem from your brain. And I, I think we um, yeah, well, I think we just need to speak up. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, because the way it's set up. Yes, there's a 30 day plan at the end. But the way it's set up is actually you do assessments to try and uh, figure out what cognitive, what we'd call cognitive domains are affected. So rather than going to your doctor with, oh, I feel foggy and fuzzy, foggy you know, and, and, you know, having trouble, you can actually specifically go in and say, well, actually, my executive function is, is, is not working. And this is how it's affecting me. And then I go into the various underlying conditions to give you a sense of whether, you know, there may be something there. And it's not to self-diagnose, it's to go to a doctor armed with meaningful information so that 
um, you know, the doctor really has to respond. That's something useful in general, I think, isn't it? Because we often we go into these medical situations without the lingo, without the knowledge. And, and so we're kind of reliant on it's about empowering ourselves anyway. I mean, I know we don't want to be self-diagnosing with Dr. Google, but at the same time, it's useful to have information like in your your kind of a book that you can bring to a doctor doctor so that you're on the same page at least there's two things there if you google brain fog and that's what I started the book with you, you get I think it's when I started it was about 40 million hits but I think it's up near 65 million hits at the, at the moment but it, you know as you said you don't go to Dr Google you go to a trust trustworthy website so you go to the NHS and you put in brain fog and you get nothing zero nada zilch so that's one reason for the book but I think there's a second reason I, I think there's an issue when we go to doctors I don't believe that they see cognition as in their remit but cognition is 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 the function you know thinking remembering that's how your brain works now um brain fog really is a sign that your brain is malfunctioning a little bit um if any other organ in your body is malfunctioning like your kidneys if you're peeing too often you go to the doctor and they say well we need to find out what's going on here you go with your brain and you're kind of told ah you know you're tired or you're stressed which it may well be but the point is it's a signal that something's amiss and any other prolonged signal is checked out you know even a cough that is a really interesting point now um you've written this book and obviously you're uh, you know eminently qualified and you've done a lot of research into it but i suppose it's really important then when it gets out in the world and people who have brain fog who are experiencing it can use the your techniques to get better so how did you go about kind of getting guinea pigs because we have one of the guinea pigs here with us and i'm going to talk to joanna in a moment but uh tell us about that why did you get people to read it and to who had brain fog? Well, I think, as you said, it's important to just get real people. I mean, it's all grounded in, you know, science. It's grounded on the, the fundamental principles of brain health, you know, and there's a lot of research behind that. So, you know, um, uh, you, you know, we know it, it works logically. It should work, et cetera. Um, but like that, yes, I wanted to get people to try it. So I reached out to various organizations and groups. Uh, so migraine, for example, would be commonly associated with brain fog. So I reached out to the Migraine Association of Ireland. Um, I reached out to wellness warrior she's a woman who you know who is passionate about educating people about the menopause etc and she has a um a lot of people and um i also then reached out uh to uh a long covid group on facebook um i i mean i i have to say the minute um covid struck i knew there would be some sort of impact because it's not unusual post post virus you know sepsis people who recover from sepsis will have brain fog for you know up to a year afterwards um so that's not unusual but um i got some sort of um uh virus myself last february february i've no idea whether it was um covid but it was some sort of serious virus and i felt my own fog coming back and i actually felt old old pain symptoms that i had well under control and various issues and i still have the the remains of a rash that i've had almost a year later um, and it kind of got me th really thinking again no this brain fog is going to be a, a real real issue and I started exploring it and I discovered a group online last June I think um that had about 12,000 members all um you know experiencing prolonged symptoms and I joined the group because at that time I was trying to explore what was happening me you know did maybe I have have COVID it's irrelevant whether I did or not I had the symptoms of you know following some sort of virus um and I just asked the question anyone here had brain fog you know and I described the symptoms and within 
I'd say within an hour, I had about 450 responses. Like it was incredible. And I went, oh my God, this is something serious. So I started to look at it and then I contacted the Times and I said, I'd like to do a piece on this and research it. And so many people agreed to, to be interviewed by me. Uh, and had incredible stories that included being sort of gaslit by their doctors, you know, um, you know, going. I mean, these people had diagnosis of brain fog. One woman got diagnosed with not brain fog, diagnosis of COVID. One woman got a diagnosis of COVID the day her own mother died from COVID. Um, and these people were and mainly women, actually. Um, but they were in really powerful positions, jobs, works, university professors. Uh, the woman who's who's who 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 got COVID the day her mother diagnosed, she was the public relations officer in the Merseyside Police. She couldn't go back to work because she was afraid she couldn't trust that she wouldn't reveal a name of somebody that she shouldn't. And none of them were able to go back to work because of the brain fog. But they would go to the doctors, and the doctors would be looking at their breathing or their other symptoms. But you know, she was told that her brain fog was grief um, for her mother. But she said, like, my father died two years ago. I didn't get brain fog, you know, because of that. Another woman was told it was the menopause, which it may well have been. But it's just it's 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 being told what it might be without any support or, 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 or tangible way to to kind of address it is is challenging. So tell us about now Joanna Leechuk, who we're going to bring in. Uh, where did you find Joanna? So Joanna, I just then. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, contacted. um I contacted the admin people on that Facebook group and I asked them, would they reach out and see whether any, because there's very strict rules within the group, uh, you know, about, you know, it's really a support group. So I couldn't kind of go into the group myself uh, for that reason. Um, and I just said, will you reach out and see if anybody is willing to read my book and take the 30 day plan? And and um, a couple did actually. And um, uh, uh, Joanna, um, Joanna was one of those and Joanna sticks out in my mind. Bring you in now, Joanna. So where are you coming to us from? So I'm in Scotland, so in Fife. In Fife, lovely, yeah. excellent. Is that near Leith? Am I mistaken that? It's just north of Edinburgh, just over the fourth bridge. I'm, I just, I'm listening to your voice and I'm just hearing the proclaimers sunshine on Leith. It's one of my <laughs> favourite songs. Joanna, tell us about your experience with brain fog and then obviously what happened after you tried Sabina's 30-day plan. Okay, so I was ill last April, early April, so coming up a year ago now, I had a really bad fever really bad uh, tiredness, muscle aches, headaches, sore throats. And I was, I was in bed basically for a fortnight. And, you know, when, you, when you've been ill, you start to feel like you recover kind of day by day. You start doing a little bit more, but that that just never happened for me at all. And before I was ill, you know, I, I, had, I was well known for having this really good memory. People would always come to me and say, oh, when did this happen? When did that happen? And then they'd come and ask me and they'd say like, what did you have for your lunch? Like an hour later, and I'd have no memory of it at all. I couldn't spell words. I was saying the wrong words as well. Like I'd be just chatting away and then I'd just say a random word that would just change the whole sentence. But I knew I was doing it. I was aware, but it just, it would just come out. So I just, I don't know, I just kind of felt quite, quite hopeless about everything because I had been so sharp before and I, I was off work for about seven months as well with kind of these ongoing symptoms. And yeah, it was just, I was forgetting everything, forgetting people's birthdays, just everything really. All these things that I was well known for, for remembering. So it was very frustrating. Did you know the the term brain fog at that point? Uh, I'd heard of it before, but I wasn't, I've, through my job, I've worked with people who've had it, but it wasn't something I knew much about at all. 
So then when um, Sabina's uh, message came up on the message board, did you immediately recognise what she was talking about? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I thought, oh, that, that's me, <laughs> 100%. So, yes, and I think I was the, the first one to respond to the post. <laughs> so it was just lucky that I got to do it. So <laughs> so you went and you read the book and did it all kind of, was it, well, I suppose, first of all, was it useful to see that, did, did you, I mean, you must have had what Sabina described earlier, that thing of, am I going mad? If I got dementia, that kind of, those fears must come into your head. So was it reassuring to know that this was an actual thing? Yeah, yeah, even just from reading the introduction, it all just kind of sort of slotted into place. And the same with the kind of the GP, they they were understanding, but they said, you know, nothing they could do really. And it was more about the the other symptoms I had they were more interested in. And even just from then, I thought, you know, I can can identify with this straight away. So then if we get into the 30-day guide and the book, what happened? Tell me about the, the things you introduced into your daily life and how they... Um, affected your brain fog? So I mean it it kind of breaks down the plan into different areas of your life as well so stress was a a big one for me because I've been basically stressed for over a year now just with the whole pandemic I was stressed with that anyway and being at work I wasn't sleeping as a result of that so that was the first two kind of things linking in and because I was tired I wasn't eating very well and I wasn't exercising basically at all because I was so tired so I was in this just a vicious circle of, of everything, really. So I, I kind of explained why. And once I started to kind of work away piece by piece at the different bits in the book, then it, it did. It, it really made sense and it really helped. So tell me about some of the changes you made to your daily life as a result of the book. So the first one was really getting into a routine for my sleep, which I found very difficult because I, I, was, I wasn't sleeping well at all. I'd be sleeping during the day. I wouldn't be sleeping well at night. So it was just really getting into that routine, kind of settling yourself down, sort of turning the lights down a bit, not watching TV too late, not being on your phone, which I'm quite bad for. So yeah, it was just, it was getting into that routine and, and saying to my friends and family, you know, don't don't text me after sort of 10 o'clock at night because I'll, I'll not be, my phone won't be on. So so yeah, it was just kind of a lifestyle Sleep. change. And then what about the food and exercise? How did you manage that? So food was a bit more challenging because I'm still quite fatigued from the virus. I was trying to find things that were easy to make, but also healthier as well. Because I have been guilty of kind of sugary snacks if I'm feeling a bit fed up and things. So so yeah, and then exercise. It's not just sort of physical, it's also for your mind as well. So I was trying to do different things, like I was trying to sort of craft things, different things I could do at my own pace, as well as doing some exercise as well, so... They all sound quite sort of obvious in a way, like holistically, like sleep, food, exercise. Was there anything else um, that you added in that was kind of um, very impactful? I think it was just a combination. Like you're saying, that it's things that kind of seem obvious at the time. But when you're in that situation, it, you just feel like hopeless and that that's not going to improve. So to actually just have that guidance of what to do is so powerful. So tell me about your brain fog now or how you are now. Oh, it's improved a lot. Like I can do a lot because um, at work after Teams meetings a lot and I'd basically forget things. And when I was doing assessments on patients, I'd have to write it all down. But I did one yesterday and I remembered everything, which is great. <laughs> so yeah, so it's real progress, definitely. I just feel a bit more sort of in control of things as well. So 
So no, things are going really well. So how do you feel about, um, you know, this idea that it's dismissed a bit by doctors and they say they can't do anything? Do you feel like when you went that you should have been told all this stuff in the doctor's surgery? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because it just kind of left you sort of in limbo. You didn't know what to do or who to turn to because you kind of expect them to know these things and to tell you how to help as well. So You would have um, written about it just in response to, to, to say how you got on. Do you have a little piece of what you wrote in terms of your feedback there for us to read? Because it was quite, um, it sounds like it really did. I mean, it sounds like you were going through a very, very tough time that sort of had no end in sight. Mm-hmm. And then this allowed you to take a bit more control and to see improvements. And it must have been quite a great feeling to know that you could actually change things for the better yourself. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I've got a sort of quote, but here I can read out for you. So, uh, so I feel that from reading this book and taking part in the plan that I found the parts of me that I thought I may never come back again after being unwell for so long. And I feel I can continue to progress in my life. And most importantly, I'm starting to feel like me again. Mm, that's brilliant. Um, Sabina, listening to Joanna there, does, I suppose it's great when you write something that actually impacts someone's life in a positive way like that. How do you feel about Joanna's experience? I was really emotional when I read it uh, the first time because she did say she felt she lost herself and that she'd lost hope and that, that the book restored hope. And I, I just found that very, very moving. Um, uh, and uh, she said lots of uh, lovely things. But but the see, um, I think the thing probably with this, with, with the likes of Joanne, who's co- recovering from a very serious viral illness, the book explains that you have to take teeny weeny weeny baby steps you know um and particularly sort of with the 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 mental exercises so often people think um no i got to get out and do a 5k you can't do that after a viral illness you know joanne i think you said at the time you started the book you could barely walk to your hall door you you literally hadn't done anything uh and then at at the end of it she said she was taking online zoom yoga classes which was like just huge but she was afraid to exercise because she felt her she should be resting but the thing is it's like and i use that analogy in the book it's like if you break your ankle or twist your ankle there's a point at which you must rest to, to allow the initial recovery but then there comes a point where you have to start using it again and that is painful because for rest there is a loss of function and the longer you rest, the more function you will use. And that will apply to your brain fog and your physical. You become deconditioned. And so as well, the same, like a lot of people have said to me, they can't watch television anymore because they can't follow the plot. They can't read a book and um, they just can't focus. So literally what I would say to those when it's that bad, OK, just today, read a line of the book. And do that for a week read a line and then try to read two lines next week. It really can be that slow, you know, you know, it can take that, but actually gradually you can build up. You're trying to recondition in this instance, you know, um, uh, in terms of a virus with other conditions and with, you know, like what we're talking about, pandemic brain, et cetera, you really can kick your ba- yourself back in much quicker. And I, I, you know, it's interesting just to speak back to what you were saying about, you know, sleep, stress, exercise, diet, they all seem very basic, but I think that the trick of the book is it explains why sleep is absolutely critical to your brain function, how, when you disrupt sleep, you cannot 
remember things. You cannot learn because there's things that happen in your brain at night that are critical uh, for both of those. So, I, I mean, I think that's that's what helps. And as Joanna said, I mean, the rituals, I, I just at the end, you know, the 30 day plan is full of rituals to reset your your life and revive your brain. And they're quite gentle. Um, because I just think when you've brain fog, you're already too challenged. Sabina, you experienced it yourself. You touched on that earlier. So all these things are stuff that you've done because you suffer from migraines. I saw you tweeting, I think, yesterday. Oh, this week. Yeah, yeah. I had to. I, I mean, yeah, I have what's called chronic daily migraines. So I always have a headache of some shape or form or, or, or pain in my neck or whatever. But, you know, the brain is brilliant. You adapt and you just get on with your life every so often. Um uh, you know, I get struck down. And probably the reason I had it the, the last couple of days is that with promoting the book, I've just been, you know, not adhering to my own advice because I've been working, you know, morning until night and constantly under pressure. But yes, um, and I have an autoimmune disease and I have a diagnosis of uh, fibromyalgia. And I was at a point several years ago where I had stopped doing everything, everything. I mean, everything. I couldn't even walk my dogs anymore. To wash my hair was absolutely just to lift my arms up was exhausting. You know, if I was trying to stir a bolognese on the stove, it the pain was excruciating. Um, and I like a bit like kind of Joanna, I just stopped doing everything because it was so painful. You know, I had a diagnosis of um, I have Sjogren's syndrome. And um, at that point, the fibromyalgia, the pain was just um, everywhere. Um, and um, I was doing my PhD at the time. Uh, and all I did was my PhD. And then eventually I remember my rheumatologist saying to me, similarly to what I've just said there, you're going to have to you're going to have to start walking again, Spina, you know, and I would say it was like when I'd move, it was like someone was stabbing daggers into my thighs. And even when I was sitting, that would happen. And he said, you're just going to have to push through it. And I literally started like that with the, the I live in a muse house. So I'm about 90 feet from the road. And I started with that, just walking to the gate and back and gradually building up. And, you know, hey, presto, the pain does start to go. You know, um, it really does. Um, I still, you know, I still get pain on and off. But also, if I do start to feel really bad, I know that I have fallen. I mean, I'm a, people say to me, you know, uh, you know, you know how to do all these things. But I'm a human being before I'm a health psychologist and a, a neuroscientist. So I fall into the same traps that other people do. You know, you kind of fall off the wagon. And especially if you're feeling good and healthy, you forget sometimes that the reason you're feeling good and healthy is because you're doing all these things and sometimes you go, oh what's the harm in having a few gnts and staying up late and then you, you you get the consequence of it you know i haven't mentioned i mean you, it is very much like you say you explain the different brain functions and you know how they're affected and that's from everything from attention processing speed learning and memory and language and some of the things that uh, joanna described there and when you identify those fu brain functions that are that are you know impaired you can adapt appropriate strategies. I like one of your suggestions, which is a one drop spot for all the important things such as keys, glasses, wallets and passports. I think everyone, no matter if you're suffering from brain fog or not, it's a good idea. Just one place where all those important things go. Yeah, yeah. And I do follow that myself because it used to be <laughs> mayhem in our house in the morning. But yeah, I should say that. So I think it's the second chapter in the book is a book is, is just full of strategies that you can adopt to help you cope with the symptoms while you have them. Obviously, the overall aim of the book is to get you to make those brain healthy lifestyle 
changes to ultimately, you know, clear the brain fog or minimize it as, as, as much as possible. But then the other strategies like that, you match your particular dysfunction with the strategy. Um, and, and they do help. They, they help immensely. And I, I mean, really what I say about the, the book as well, even if you don't have brain fog, um, it will actually help you optimize your functioning. Anyway, you know, because most of us, I, I kind of feel that the brain is the most underused resource on the planet and most of us aren't optimizing its functioning and we're, we're not reaching our true potential. Joanna, um, just going back to you, like, do you feel like you've had a bit of a new lease of life or, you know, are you a bit of an evangelist now for this kind of thing? Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> it's totally changed my perspective and everything. Yeah. And are you talking to other people who um, are still maybe suffering very badly with brain fog? Yeah. Yeah. I'm still in touch with people in the support group and the action group. And I've got a few people I know through work and things as well that are, that have these symptoms too. So. And have you spoken to any medical professionals about it and about how all this stuff has helped you? Um, well, I tried to speak to my GP about it the other day, but they're not really <laughs> terribly interested, unfortunately. So. What do you mean? Like not interested? Wow. How could he not be interested in the fact that you've, um, you know, done stuff to improve your health? I know. Yeah, they're they're just still thinking about the the physical symptoms. So, what do you think about that, Sabina? Is that something? Wow. Yeah, I'm 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 quite surprised about that. So you have you still have some you still have some uh, prolonged physical symptoms from have you shortness of breath or 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 do you mind sharing that? Yeah, no, I've still got um, fatigue and I've got an autoimmune disease now as well. So, so you got that as a consequence of long COVID? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised that that's that that's happening, you know, because, you know, autoimmune diseases. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 it, and then there's a whole chapter in the book about how inflammation um, your immune responses, pain, how they all interact and impact on your cognitive um, functioning. But that's that's classic. You know, it's the doctors. They um, not all doctors, I have to say, but but they really just focus on the physical. And the thing is, Actually, if they focused and I say this time and time again, if you focus on brain health, physical health and mental health follow, do you know, because they are the brain is the is is the the master controller. It's the source of it. And I have spoken to other enlightened doctors, you know, particularly in the migraine space and in the multiple sclerosis space, because I work in both of those spaces on the issue of brain health and dealing with brain fog. And there are much more enlightened people in that space because they're aware that the cognitive dysfunction associated with those conditions can be, particularly with multiple sclerosis. Often when people get a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, they're worried that their mobility issues will stop them from working. Actually, the fact of the matter is it's their brain fog that ultimately stops them from working. So there's a real shift and a focus towards, um, you know, underscoring the importance of brain health. But one of the, you know, and I also spoke to the head of the Sepsis Trust around the issue of brain fog, because he would be very aware of that, that, that he feels there's a need for a re-education piece with doctors to actually re-educate them and educate them about brain health and about how they're all linked, because it's not really something that's covered in their um, in their training um you know so i i do think that's a bigger piece that we need and i think people like joanna and myself i you know we can just keep trying to raise awareness and i think that's one positive not that there's positives in a pandemic but i think the fact that so many people are experiencing brain fog has brought it to the fore and i'm actually seeing because i'm keeping an eye on the research there is now some money being invested in trying to understand 
you know, the brain fog. Of course, people are going to the inflammatory markers and those kind of things. But anything that helps us understand it, um, uh, you know, is is, is good, uh, good progress. Sabina, have you had any pushback? Because I'm mean, just curious about Joanna's GP's response, you know, more interested in the physical symptoms. Have you had anybody, Sabina, kind of saying, oh, what are you going on about? This is nonsense or any kind of cynical? Well, no, I actually haven't. Because the thing is, you know, brain health, the pillars of brain health are well known and well established for a very long time. There's a huge body of research. And, you know, that's what my first book was about, really, you know, um, but in, in the context of of aging. So nobody can nobody can kind of knock down that exercise is good for your it's good for your brain because you need, a, a you know, a healthy cardiovascular system to provide the oxygen and nutrients that you need. And to be aerobically fit means that your brain will function. But also we know if you go, if you take that deeper dive that the, the book does, when you exercise, there's chemicals released in your brain, a particular one called brain drive neurotrophic factor, BDNF. And I just call it miracle grow for the brain because it acts like a fertilizer in your brain. And it makes your brain more fertile for growing new brain cells and connections between your brain cells. So in order to learn anything, to take in any new information, to, to do anything, you want to harness neuroplasticity in your brain. And that's the ability of your brain brain to change with learning. And that's the growth of new connections. So physical exercise promotes neuroplasticity through the release of that um, fertilizer. That's just sort of one example of how nobody can kind of really push back on those things because it's just science. Um, but um, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm sure that if some doctors do read it, that they'll be, oh, but I mean, I have had, I have had positive feedback from doctors in the menopause space um, also from, um, you know, doctor in the, um, a gastroenterologist, cause she said, you know, loads of her patients um, experience brain fog as a consequence of, um, you know, gastrointestinal issues. And I mean, that's not surprising because we often refer to the gut as the second brain. So you've nearly as many neurons in your gut as your brain and, 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 and they're linked together. But I have been getting lovely emails from, from people who, um, I, I got a lovely email from a gentleman the other day who said that he'd been sick for the last year and he read the book. He obviously heard me talking. He read the book. He's gone through it. He's made changes. And he said he's already seen, uh, I can't remember the word he used, but an incredible difference. And you can almost hear the relief in him, you know, that he didn't know what was going. And he said he's spoken to some of his friends and they're experiencing the same. And I suspect that was probably pandemic brain fog or whatever, you know. Joanna, I just want to come back to you finally. Like, it sounds like things are a lot better for you, but long COVID is a really interesting thing. And it, it obviously has so many repercussions for your for your physical and your mental health. Um, what would you like people to know about what you've experienced in the last year? Because I think anyone who hasn't had COVID or hasn't experienced it might be just, it's hard for people to get their heads around in a way, something lasting so long. I just think it's all the sort of complexities of everything that's happened as well. And I think, like you're saying, people aren't aware. Like, I still know people who are amazed that COVID exists because they don't know anyone who's had it. They don't know anyone who's died from it. So it's really just to have that awareness that, you know, it is a dangerous virus. And not not to scare people, but it's just to, to be safe and sensible as well. Because the last thing you want is to end up having COVID and then contracting long COVID after that as well. So, What stage of the lockdown are you in now, Joanna, in Scotland? So hope we're hoping things are easing. I think the stay-at-home order finishes next week, but we have to stay local until the end of April. What does local mean in Scotland? Because we've got a 5k limit here. It's to be within your county. 
Oh yeah, you're, you're lucky. So, yeah. <laughs> and Fife's huge, so <laughs> so that's good. Oh, Fife's a big yeah. county, is it? So you've got all sorts of things you can go and see yeah, in Fife. St Andrews you. and all sorts. So oh, gorgeous! And when will that um, widen out even further? Do you think? Well, after that, we're all going into tier three, which which is still stay stay within your county, but then. Um, non-essential shops and hairdressers open next week end of next Woo-hoo! week so i'll get my hair cut on the 15th of april <laughs> Dang, you're making us all jealous here um well listen and are you going to get vaccinated soon then as well i've had both of them because i work in the nhs i've had both of them now so that is yeah, so i'm very lucky I was just saying, I think it's really important to point out that Joanna is only, you don't mind me sharing your age, Joanna. Joanna is only 31, do you know? Um, and, and I just think that's something to point out. And a lot of people that I have encountered who have long COVID are very young in their 20s. People who were, you know, really, really, really active who um, have ended up practically bed bound as a consequence. And often many of those had very, one of those that comes to mind, she's an anaesthetist. I can never say that word, but um, uh, um, she only had very mild COVID, like a sinus infection. And that's often the, the, the case. Well, I think I, I think you're right, Joanna, um, about the awareness and people sort of understanding that if you do bloody get COVID, it can actually just it can knock you out for a long, long time. And it can have all sorts of repercussions that we can't even imagine. Um, and just to keep that in mind when we're all trying to be safe. But uh, Sabina, it's obviously that, that you're helping a lot of people, which is great and probably positively impacting maybe the medical profession, helping them understand brain fog a bit better than they did before so hopefully that's it that's a result of your book but um sabina and joanna thank you very much for talking to us today you're welcome thank you that's all we have time for that was dr sabina brennan and joanna lestuk and the book is called beating brain fog the podcast is produced by me roisin ingle by jennifer ryan and suzanne brennan with jj vernon on sound mind yourselves keep those brains sharp and i will talk to you next time Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 